Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Psalm 145. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. Um, what I'm hoping to accomplish with you uh, in this month of January is, is two things. Uh, one, every week we give our purpose statement, that we exist to bring glory to God by making gospel disciples and sharing the love of Christ with our community and our world. As this new year begins, it's my first goal to help us all understand what that purpose statement means. What does it mean to bring glory to God? And that's part of what we're going to investigate even today. But in seeing the purpose statement, in seeing what the Word of God has for us, in us being united around this purpose statement, the other goal that I, I hope to accomplish with you through this series is to encourage and foster in you individually, but also in us collected, collectively, an attitude and a practice of prayer. That if we really are going to be the people of God, pursuing the plans of God by the power of God, one of the primary ways in which we do that is by praying to this God that we seek to follow and honor. Uh, before we, we get into this, though, um, I, I just want to confess to you, maybe sympathize with you. Um, do, do any of you make New Year's resolutions? Do you do? I always want to start my New Year's resolution happy and, and healthy, right? That's like part of what I desire for the new year. Uh, and, and just to, to get it out there in the open, I decided yesterday that I would not start my new year uh, happy or healthy. Um, Logan and I went to jujitsu practice yesterday, and I suffered my first knee injury. So if you watch me walk up the steps uh, one step at a time, uh, I uh, injured my knee yesterday. But uh, my wife is leaving. I'm going to brag on her for uh, a second. Does anyone know what a knee reduction is? Have you ever heard this phrase before? It's what happens when you pop your kneecap out of place and someone has to reset it for you. So yesterday, I didn't want to go to the hospital because I'm kind of a baby when it comes to the hospitals. Uh, and I, I'm only saying this to just tell you how thankful I am for my wife. She reset my kneecap yesterday during our uh, New Year's Eve celebration at our house. So I guess I'm, I'm happy for a wife who's not afraid to shove my kneecap back in place. But but I, I didn't start it as healthy as I thought I was going to. Uh, so I, I'm only saying that just so if you wonder why I'm, I'm limping around up here or if I fall down at some point, you know what, what, what has happened. Um, but like I said, every week we, we recite our, the purpose statement for our church. But what does it really mean to be the church God has called us to be? How should we think about first bringing him glory? In, in bringing him glory, we must know who we are. We must 
know what God has called us to do, and we must know why we would glorify him if we're going to do his will in 2023. Now, one interesting fact before we read this particular psalm, Psalm 145 is what they refer to as an alphabetic acrostic psalm. That means that each section of this particular psalm starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Many of you are already familiar with that from Psalm 119, where it's broken up in eight stanzas, where the the Hebrew alphabet represents each stanza. This psalm does that very similarly, except with the verses. So this psalm was, in a sense, meant to be memorized, so that as the people of God thought about what it meant to worship the God of the Bible, they would have many psalms, many praise and worship memorized to offer worship to him. Now, I would invite you this time, if you've turned to Psalm 145, to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God. If you're able, stand as I read Psalm 145, verses 1 through 7, if you'll follow along with me. Uh, In my Bible, it starts with, great is the Lord, is the header, and then the header of the psalm is a psalm of praise of David. And then verse 1 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall command your works to, or commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. This is a reading from the word of God. You may be seated. What we see right away in the first two verses of this psalm is that the people of God are to be committed to, the, to glorifying God in verses 1 and 2. Before we, we get to those particular points, I, I think that there's a, a few things in particular that we need to address to make sure that we're all on the same page. Three main things. Number one, who are the people of God? Number two, when should the people of God glorify God? And then number three, how should the people of God glorify God? So who are the people of God? Well, in the Old Testament, the people of God primarily are the Israelites, the the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, where we're at currently, the people of God are the church. That's us. The people of God in the New Testament have two main expressions. The the people of God gathered and the people of God scattered. The people of God gathered and the people of God scattered. So let's, let's start with the people of God scattered. What does that mean? That means all believers, or or another way of saying the people of God scattered is the universal church. But here's where this becomes very important. Because in our minds, if we're going to live for the glory of God in 2023, you and I have to think of ourselves as the church. You are a member, you are the, lo- or the church scattered, the universal church. So everywhere you go, you are to live out being the church. 
And this has huge implications of our lives because it means everywhere and anywhere you go, you are representing the God of the universe as his ambassadors here on earth. And I don't, I don't know if you've conceptualized this in your mind. We, we've thought about this and talked about this to some degree. But by the purpose and plan of God, if you are a person who is saved, you've received the Spirit of God, you've confessed your sins, you've repented of your sins and received the Holy Spirit into your life, you are, by God's design, the church, his representative, everywhere you go. You are the church. We are the church individually. In our salvation, God has made us his church and commissioned us to represent him everywhere we go. You are the church. Now, this is a very important distinction in, the, in today's day and age because what has happened is that church has become something that we do. It's not who we are. And brothers and sisters, we've got to be very clear on this. Church isn't just something that you do. It's not just something that you attend on a weekly basis. The church is who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. But the church has another expression, not just the people of God scattered, not just you individually everywhere that you go and all the implications that go along with that. The people of God are also gathered and that's what's happening right at this moment. We are the church gathered at this moment. It happens when the members of the universal church enter into covenant relationship for the purpose of encouragement, accountability, and growth in Christ. So the, the gather church is made up of members of the universal church who have agreed to be together in covenant relationship. So the, the church, the people of God, actually have two main expressions. The church scattered, you outside of this gathering, where you go if you're a believer. And then the church gathered, those of us who are committed together in covenant relationship with each other inside of the church. The church scattered, the church gathered. So if this is how we primarily define who the people of God are, then the next question that's addressed in the text is, when should the people of God glorify God? Because what the psalmist is about to tell us in the rest of this psalm is that glorifying God with all our lives is the only sufficient response to seeing who God is. Now, if we're thinking about the church scattered and gathered, let's look at what the text says in one, uh, Psalm 145, verse 1. It says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Now, church family, how long is forever? It's forever, right? Forever doesn't have some end date in the future. And, and we enjoy thinking about forever, but listen to what the text says next in verse 2. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Now, what this means, what we should understand here is that if we're going to glorify God forever and ever, we've got to start today. We've got to start glorifying God with our lives right now. 
If we ever have forever and ever as our goal, there has to be a beginning point in which we begin glorifying God with our lives. And let me suggest to you, that has to be right now. As the church scattered, this has huge implications for our lives. This means that everywhere I go and everything that I do should be done to the glory of God, individually. And then when we gather together corporately, as the church gathered, everything that we should do should be done in such a way that is glorifying to God. And it should happen right now. And brothers and sisters, I hope this is an encouragement to you. It has already happened. And, and maybe in some sense you've experienced it already. Were your hearts not encouraged as Brother Rob prayed for the Coonies who are on the other side of the world and we lifted them up corporately in prayer? Were, were you not encouraged as we sang praises and hymns to uh, Jesus Christ, our King? We're reminded of his great love. We were collectively glorifying him together right now. And if we as a church and if we are individuals, our plan to glorify him forever and ever, we have to think about what it means to glorify him in this moment. The next question then is, how should the people of God glorify God? The psalmist in these particular verses lists several ways in which he expects to react. He expects us as his people to react, and he himself anticipates reacting. If you just look at the text very quickly, you'll start to recognize some of these words, these responses. Bless, praise, commend, declare, meditate, speak, pour forth, sing aloud. We see all of these things that are, are listed here. I'll list them for you again if you're trying to write them down. Bless, praise, commend, declare, meditate, speak, pour forth, sing aloud. Now, if we're trying to take all of these phrases and condense them down to get a feel for what the psalmist is saying, how we should respond, let me suggest that he's encouraging us to respond in two ways. Outward proclamation and inward meditation. Outward proclamation and inward meditation. Now, what do I mean by that? Outward proclamation entails not just speaking the gospel, but living the gospel. That as we understand who God is more and more, and we understand the depth and richness of our salvation, our lives would be radically changed to live consistent with the gospel that we say we believe. Because we understand how consistent it is to, sell, to tell someone to do something or tell someone that we believe something, and then we do the exact opposite of that. You understand this is like an excuse that we get all the time from people that we share the gospel with that say, well, the gospel can't be true because I don't know any believers who live consistent with the gospel. Brothers and sisters, that cannot be true of us as followers of Jesus Christ. 
The gospel that we proclaim to believe must impact our lives in such a way that we're outwardly declaring just in the way that we live that Jesus Christ is who he proclaims to be, that God is as great as he proclaims to be. And maybe you've heard the phrase, uh, share the gospel, but use words if it's necessary. Have you heard that phrase before? Share the gospel, use words if necessary. And as a famous pastor and preacher once said, yes, share the gospel with your life, but we must use words because it is necessary. People are never going to hear about the greatness of God and the glory of Jesus Christ and the necessity of the gospel and the necessity for them to repent unless we as the church, the ambassadors of Christ who have been commissioned into a lost and dying world, share that truth with them with our words. They can see a radically changed life, but they must also hear the gospel proclaimed to them. Bless, praise, commend, declare, speak, pour forth, sing aloud. All of these indicate an outward expression of who God actually is to the world around us. But as I said, it's not just outward proclamation. There's also an inward meditation. And this is where prayer starts to become a very important component in the way in which we live. Inward medication, meditation, medication, I guess it is a type of medication, isn't it? Inward meditation is learning and thinking about the Word of God. And I would include praying. Learning, thinking, and praying about the Word of God. You see, when we learn and think about the Word, and we pray it back to God, we do so expecting him to do what he said he will do in his word. As we learn the word of God and we think about the word of God, we pray it back to him, expecting him to do what he has said he he would do in his word. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. And hopefully it's a huge encouragement to you that The Lord didn't just save you and then leave you to your own devices, but the Lord has saved you and commissioned you to be his church, to represent God everywhere that we go, to be individual carriers of the gospel. Now, here's how I thought about this. In the last two years, we've heard a lot about COVID. Anybody else tired of hearing about COVID? Almost all of us. Okay, I'm going to talk about COVID one more time. All right, so for those of you who are tired of it, uh, just bear with me, okay? In all of our conversations about COVID, many times we were hearing about asymptomatic COVID carriers. Are you guys familiar with this? Asymptomatic meant someone who had COVID but had no symptoms of COVID but somehow spread COVID to other people. You're familiar with this? Friends, there should be no asymptomatic gospel carriers. Everybody should know you have the gospel. What was so interesting with asymptomatic COVID carriers is that they would have it and they didn't, they didn't even know that they had it. But when you've been changed by the gospel, you know you have the gospel. 
and everyone around you knows that you have the gospel, and you know that you're transmitting the gospel to them. As individual carriers of the gospel, there should be such huge evidence that you have the gospel permeating your life that everybody would know that you have it, right? Because now in this COVID day and age, if you cough, everybody immediately thinks that you have COVID, right? Everybody turns at you and looks and thinks, where is your mask, you evil person? But brothers and sisters, this, it should be true of the gospel that we would speak of the gospel so often that people would know that we know Jesus Christ and we have his spirit living in us. No asymptomatic gospel carriers. But what about the, the church gathered? How should the people of God glorify God as the church gathered? When the church gathers, we are literally making the gospel visible. I mean, look around this room. There are people that are here today that are together for no other reason other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're united together because the gospel draws us together. And in being together, in being unified in the love that we just sang about, the gospel is actually made visible in who we are. And what we practice when we are gathered should make the gospel visible to anyone who would see it. Now, I'm going to get on a soapbox for a moment, and if I get too wound up, I'll just look, Kim, and you give me the signal, and I'll calm down. But the church in modern America today is so bent on looking like the world that you cannot see the gospel visible in the times in which they gather. Friends, that can never be true of us. When we gather, the gospel should be on such clear display that anyone who would wander through those doors might not understand the gospel when they wander in here, but they'll know it and they'll experience it before they walk out those doors. This must be true of us. If we are the church of God, gathered together for the purpose of God, the glory of God has to be on display, and the gospel has to be on display every time that we gather. Now, how, how do we do this? We need to make four things a priority in how we gather to glorify God. Just four. Singing, praying, preaching the word, and administering the Lord's Supper and baptism. In those four things, the gospel is completely on display for anyone that who, would, who would see it. And think about what's happened. When we sing, the songs that we sing, what are they about? You don't know. The gospel, Jesus Christ, that is correct. We sing the songs that we sing so that the gospel is on display. When we gather and we pray, what do we pray about? There's typically two things. The opening prayer to open our service together. And then what's the second one? Missions. So the gospel is on display in us asking God to help us worship him in our time together. And then we ask the Lord in our missions prayer 
to help those we are partnered with in missions. And then if, if the preaching is actual preaching, what will be the center of preaching? Oh, come on, folks. Jesus Christ. And then when we administer the sacraments, baptism and Lord's Supper, what is the focus of baptism and Lord's Supper? Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection, his sacrificed body on our behalf. We're consistently making the gospel visible. Each of these, in its own way, makes the gospel look visible. And oftentimes, I wish that texts were actually reversed, because we're to glorify God as both the church gathered and scattered every day, from now forever and ever. And for those of us that are rule followers, that, that seems to give us some direction. But this particular text goes on to tell us why. Why would we ever venture to glorify God from this day forward? And here's what I think these, three ver- or these verses 3 through 7 summarize. God's greatness makes him worthy to be glorified. The reason that we would endeavor to glorify him from this day forward forever and ever is because he is the only one worthy to be glorified. There are multiple parallel passages that declare the greatness of God. Turn over with me to Exodus chapter 12. Let's look at a few other verses. Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27 says this. The people of God are being instructed in terms of the Passover. When they would observe the Passover later, And their children ask, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared their houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. There is passage after passage after passage in which the greatness and power of God is declared over and over and over in his word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, and now here in Psalm 145, starting in verse 3. Now, here's what I want to attempt to do. I'm going to list six things that this text says that make God great. And what I'm hoping to do is that you would grab one or two of them and you would hold on to them. And in your inward meditation, you would focus on at least one or two of these things. What I'm also hoping to do is to introduce you to these ideas and link them with thoughts that you already have about God. Does that make sense? You guys track with this? Or are you still uh, sleepy from last night? Did everybody stay up till midnight? Did anybody stay up till midnight? Okay, like half the room. Good. Uh, How many of you intended to stay up till midnight and you fell asleep on the couch? A few of you? All right, good. All right. Here's, Here's what I'm hoping to do now. I want you to get a thought in your mind about when you hear these particular terms, I want you to envision in your mind how you conceptualize what I'm saying. So here's the question. What do you think about 
when you think about God being infinite. Whatever pops in your mind, I want you to write it down. When you think about God being infinite, if it's a picture or a phrase or whatever it is, whatever pops in your mind, what do you think about when you think about God being infinite? Now, where would I get that from? this idea of God being infinite. It says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Now, we know from the scriptures that anytime we see a word repeated three times, there's probably a reason for us. We're familiar with it from the thrice holiness of God, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, in this text, he says, great and great and greatness. But what about this greatness? What, what is he saying about this ungreatness? He's, he's saying his greatness is unsearchable. That literally means that man cannot begin a search of understanding the infinite God on his own. Now, this might sound like terrible news at first, except for the fact that God has revealed himself, the infinite being, in his word to us. And so then man can begin to understand who God is through his word. Even though he is infinite and impossible to understand, he has made himself understandable through his word. Burkhoff in his systematic theology says this, the infinity of God is simply identical with the perfection of his divine being. The infinity of God is simply identical with the perfection of his divine being. What does that mean? In conjunction with this text, it means that God is so great. And he is so perfect in his own divine being that we don't even have to get out of verse 3 to recognize that he is worthy of all of our worship. He's the greatest of the greats of all time. There's no one. There's no one in comparison to the greatness of our God. He is infinite. But then what do we see in verse 4? God is the creator of everything. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The, the general consensus here about works in particular, but can be tied with mighty acts, is that they're talking about God's creation of the universe. And I want to suggest to you one, one suggestion for now, one for at the end. So here's the, the two things that I want to suggest on this text. One, in the history of time, there are two great works of God. The first one, which we're going to discuss now, is the creation of the universe. But the second great creation, the second great work that he has done, is being the creator, the author and finisher of our salvation, in which he restores the universe from under sin to being under the kingdom of Christ. Now, it's so interesting to me. Here we are in the Psalms. David is writing this psalm, and one of the issues that he's addressing is whether or not God is actually the creator of all things. And even though it's very clear in Genesis chapter 1 that God is the one who spoke the universe into existence, this is a, a point of contention even this day, to this day. 
There are many, even biblical scholars, who want to deny the legitimacy of the Genesis account in terms of God creating the world in six literal days. But the psalmist David confirms, along with Genesis, and even in the New Testament in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created through Him, and nothing was created that wasn't created by Him. I paraphrase that part. Friends, this, this truth that's conveyed in the Scripture is more crucial oftentimes than we want to give it credit for. Because if God is not the creator of the universe, then He has no right to tell the universe what is the best way in which to live. He has no authority over the universe unless he is the creator of the universe. And if he is the creator of the universe, then he has complete and total authority over the universe. And he is the one who gets to say what is right and wrong. As you think about the infinity of God and his ability to create everything, let me, let me ask you this. Here's number three. What do you think about when you think about God being majestic? Now, I can tell you what I think about. For some reason, my mind automatically devolts to your majesty. I don't know if that's because I live in a house with a seven-year-old girl that loves Sophia the First and, and all of these other Disney princess characters where they talk about your highness and your majesty. That's where my brain, brain went. Not that I watch those things, mind you. No. But that's where my mind went. But what does the text say? On the glorious splendor of your majesty. This is a very strong union of three nouns that are used to describe God as majestic. The glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Friends, I think sometimes we get so busy, we get so wound up in the things of this world, we, stop, we forget to stop to ponder how gloriously splendorous the majesty of our God is. And one of the things that we've done in this past year, and I want to encourage you to consider this as well, to encourage ourselves to pause and think about what God has done over the last year, my wife makes this jar, and on it it says uh, blessings, right? And then the year. And what we do to be reminded of how glorious God actually is, is that as blessings happen throughout the year, we write them down and put them in the jar. And then last night, we got the jar out and we read over the year all the things that God had done in his wondrous works that evidence his glorious splendor of his majesty. I think that we have to start inserting times in which we pause throughout our week to be reminded of the God that we worship and the great things that he has done. Otherwise, the years are going to go by and by and by, and we'll lose sight of the God that we worship and his majesty. Here's the next one. What do you think about when you think about God being great? 
Verse 6 says, They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Friends, one day we'll get to see God face to face. We'll get to see him in all of his splendor and greatness. But for now, what the psalmist reminds us to do is to remember how great God actually is by speaking of his awesome deeds. You see, the greatness of God is constantly on display before us in the great deeds that he has done, namely in the salvation that he has given us through Jesus Christ, his son. Greatness is actually in the plural in this particular text. Because for most of us, we're, we're pretty great at one thing, maybe two. Unless you're my wife, she's great at everything. But God is plurally great. There isn't anything that he isn't great at. Here's how Plummer um, says this in his commentary on the Psalms. He says, in the character and government of God is found everything that constitutes real greatness. What do you think about when you think about God being great? Here's another one. What do you think about when you think about God being good? Verse 7, the beginning says, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Again, remember, all of this is linked together to his creation, his great works. So this text is reminding us that, that his creation actually displays his goodness. And as I was thinking about this this morning, I, I started to realize that oftentimes I think about my body and this world being under the curse of sin, then I think about the goodness of God in giving me the gifts that he's given me. I think oftentimes, especially in this holiday season, we need to pause and think about how good God is to bless us in the way that he has. And yes, my knee hurts. And yes, it reminds me that I'm under the curse of sin. But yet God in his goodness has given me more blessings than I could ever recount in a short amount of time because God is good. Last but certainly not least in these seven verses is this reminder that God is righteous. What do you think about when you think about God being righteous? Conrad Pelican put it this way. They will sing of your righteousness, and with a joyful shout, they will give thanks for the righteousness of God, which is Christ, the salvation and redemption of the world. You see, Jesus is the righteousness of God made visible. And you and I, brothers and sisters, have been commissioned to make the gospel visible, the righteousness of God ministered to us through his salvation, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, 
And because of him, you are in Christ, that is the Lord, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Now, how do we, how do we bring this all together? If we're going to have an outward declaration of who God is and an inward meditation of who God is, the foundation for all of that, besides knowing the word of God, is calling out to the power of God through prayer. If we are truly going to be the people of God, pursuing the plans of God by the power of God, we must be a people of prayer. And so I, I want to invite you now to start at this moment, potentially having a renewed commitment in your heart and mind to begin today this process of glorifying God forever and ever. And that we would join together in our hearts and minds in prayer, asking God to strengthen us through this new year to, to not be concerned about things that are temporal, but to be concerned about the things that are eternal. And so as we move into 2023, no matter what happens, we would trust that the God of the Word will do what He says He's going to do as we ask Him to do it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful for these reminders from Your Word of how truly marvelous, how truly great, how truly wonderful You are. Lord, hold these truths in our hearts and minds as we begin this new year, that every moment that we would live, both as the church scattered and the church gathered, would be done so to your glory. Lord, thank you even for this opportunity today to glorify you in a special way as your church gathered, that you would bring us together this day, the first of 2023, to begin our year collectively glorifying and praising you. Lord, I ask too if there's one who is either listening online or is here today that does not know you, they have not confessed their sins and turned to you for salvation, that today would be the day that they would know your saving grace, they would truly know your love and experience the gift of salvation for the first time. But Lord, for us as a church, help us Help us to stand firm in the truth. Help us to be as Jesus was, only concerned about the will of the Father, so that in us, as your church gathered, and in a moment as your church scattered, that you would be magnified and glorified in us to a lost and dying world. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.